Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to USTA Florida's Here to Serve podcast. Up until this point, we've mainly used this podcast to have some open discussions around our response to the coronavirus. Today, we're going to have a discussion on another very important topic, and that's racial equality in tennis. And I'm excited to have two very special guests here with me today. First off, we have Mal Washington. Mal is the founder of the Mal Washington Youth Foundation, but most of you know him as a former professional tennis player where he won four ATP titles, and he also achieved a career-high ranking of number 11 in the world in 1992. We're very happy to have you here, Mal. Thanks so much for joining us. Laura, thank you for the invitation. I am excited to be here. Um, I've watched the podcast before and just looking forward to sharing a little bit, learning a little bit, and um, spending a little time with you. Excellent. Well, joining us today is also a veteran podcaster. We have Ronald Lyons, and Ron is our coordinator for diversity and outreach at USTA Florida. And prior to taking on that role, Ron was also a junior team tennis coordinator, an adult league coordinator, and he is an avid tennis player himself. So thank you, Ronald, for coming back and being part of the podcast. Thank you, Laura. I love it. <laughs> Don't say that. I'm going to have you on like 10 more episodes, Ronald. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Well, my first question for both of you really gets to the heart of why we're doing this podcast. So I'd like to know why you both think talking about racial equality in tennis is so important and why do you think it's so difficult for organizations and people to have these conversations? So Mal, I'm gonna throw this one to you first. Well, I think, well, first let me just say, I, th I think tennis is the, is the greatest sport in the world. Um, and I've had the opportunity to play in, in you know, over half of the United States and 25 countries around the world. And uh, I, think, I think tennis is one of those sports, as, as sports is in general, but certainly tennis, um, it has the opportunity and ability to bring people together. And so why, why don't we leverage the great sport of tennis and try to open it up and make it as inclusive as we possibly can across all, uh, all races, religions, um, physical, uh, physical abilities. Um, and, and I think and that's one of the things I, I like about what USGA Florida is doing and USGA National is doing is, you know, over, over many, many years now, they have tr they've tried to um, put together programs to make it uh, make it inclusive. That's what we're trying to do here in Jacksonville with uh, with my foundation. Certainly, growing up, um, I, I, I would say I was I was certainly in the minority. I was a minority, but certainly in the tennis world, I was also uh, a minority because there just weren't a lot of minorities, um, uh, Hispanic people or Asian people or or black people in the sport. Um, you know, so that was that was kind of interesting. People often ask me. You know, well, you know, who were your role models or who, who did you look up to? And, and certainly, you know, one of the early persons that, you know, I saw, um, you know, Arthur Ashe and, you know, I was a big fan of Yannick Noah, but I was also a big fan of a guy like Bjorn Borg. Um, you know, so for me, it wasn't, I didn't necessarily need to have a black role model um, that I think that's great if you have that, if you're, you know, young black kid, you have a you know, black role model, but um, I just love the sport of tennis and, uh, you know, tennis has brought has brought me so much, um, uh, so much in my life, and, and still providing me a lot today. So we've we've tried to bring 
uh, the, my youth foundation that I just mentioned to Jacksonville, Florida, you know, for over two decades now, introducing the sport to a lot of young people um, in inner city Jacksonville, just in hopes that it would it would really expand their mind into uh, into, into what is possible. Um, you know, there's there's often that that stigma that well, it's an elitist sport, or or you know, we don't play that sport here in the inner city. Believe me, we have run into that. We do run into that, and I'm I, I kind of I kind of brush that aside and say, you know, that's exactly why we're going to go to the inner city of Jacksonville. If you don't want to join or don't want to participate, God bless you, no problem. But there are going to be a lot of kids who who are willing to join and are willing to you know really break those barriers, those racial barriers, um, and maybe look out of place on a tennis court in your dreads and and maybe in sneakers or basketball shoes, not really knowing what you're doing, but you're out there engaging, having a good time on the uh, on the tennis court. And uh, like I said, expanding your mind into other possibilities. And I think I think that's so important. Um, and I, I think tennis is able to to bring that um, uh, yeah, bring that quality that maybe some other sports aren't able to bring. That's a great point. And we're going to talk more about that a little bit later, too. Ron, I wanted to turn to you just for a minute to ask you from your perspective, why do you think having these types of conversations is so important and, and why at times have maybe we struggled to have them in our organization? Well, for me, I feel like it, it really promotes a change that needs to happen in our society and definitely in our sport. Um, I think every time we have these conversations, we're bringing about some type of awareness to create change. Like I think we see in our society right now and in our country that as long as we're having these conversations, certain things can change. Like they're quickly changing um, since all of the protests and everything has happened. We can see that, okay, action can take place and change can also take place. And I think a lot of times uh, people are uncomfortable to have these conversations in organizations and people in general. I think I've seen firsthand how uncomfortable people can be having these conversations. But aside from that, I think people don't really realize privilege. I don't think people realize that privilege is a thing. I think a lot of times people talk about, oh, we all have the same opportunities. We all are at the same playing field, but that's not always the case. So a lot of times people shy away from conversations because they, they don't even realize that it exists. So that's why I feel like a lot of people shy away, Laura. And you know what really hit me is when you said that, and Mal was talking earlier and talking about somebody who looks out of place on a tennis court, I can tell you that no one looks more awkward on a tennis court or looked more awkward than me when I started playing. But it was funny because I would walk around and everybody would say, you're a tennis player, right? And I'm like, why do you think I'm a tennis player? I'm a softball player, like I'm very awkward. And I looked like a tennis player. And that was a privilege that I had working for this organization is that I looked like I played tennis where you know somebody who's much better than me maybe doesn't have that look. And I, I think that gets to your point, Ronald, is we all have a different privilege there. Sorry. And to really just be more aware of how that benefits me and maybe how I can use that to help someone else. So I, I think that's a really good point. Hey, 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 Laura, it's interesting that you say you were often told that you looked like a tennis player because literally throughout my entire tennis career, even while I was on tour, if someone didn't recognize me, they'd always assume that I played football or basketball. 
They yeah. would say, oh, you play ball? Where'd you play ball? I was like, I play ball on the ATB tour. And they're like, huh? <laughs> you play tennis? I was like, uh, yeah, you don't look like a tennis player. I, I can't tell you how many times I have, uh, I have heard that. But, you know, the, these conversations about um, equality and justice, I, I tell you, one of the reasons they're so difficult is, you know, you look back hundreds of years, and the, the history of, of race in this country. I mean, it goes back to probably the greatest sin, you know, in American history of slavery, slavery followed by Jim Crow. Um, and then the, you know, there was the civil rights movement. And I would argue that the remnants of that still exist some today. Um, and, and literally on my phone, I mean, I, I have a picture of my great, great grandfather who was born a slave in this country. Um, I'm sure there are, there are plenty of people around this country who, uh, if you go back far enough in their, you know, in their history, you know, some of their, their relatives were either, you know, slave owners or, you know, supported the system of, of segregation. Um, so you fast forward to 2020, it's not always easy. And this has been the case for, you know, many, many years. It's not always easy having those conversations, but, um, I often start, you know, the conversation by saying, you know, this isn't about judgment. It's not about trying to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong or vice versa. This is about what can I learn from you and can you learn something from me? And can we then both walk away and maybe think about a particular issue a little bit differently? And if, and if that has been accomplished, my, I'm happy with that because, you know, we're, we're all adults. Um, there, there's not a whole lot of changing we're going to do. Sometimes we're pretty stuck on our ways. But if we can, you know, be open enough to at least um, try to empathize with the other person's position, regardless of race, I think we come away with a little better understanding and then we're in a better place. Excellent. That's a great point. So I want to move on to uh, Ronald asking you a question specifically. You know, you've taken on a leadership role at USTA Florida in order to have more of these discussions and bring them into the light internally at USDA Florida. So can you tell us a little bit about the project that you are leading right now and what goals your staff team have right now in order to amplify these issues and these discussions? Yeah, definitely. So we started at USDA Florida a group called Amplify to start to try and create some of the change within our Florida tennis community. So what Amplify wants to do is basically amplify those black voices and bring awareness to those voices within our tennis community. So what we want to do, we want to uplift and make our coaches more visible. We are black coaches specifically more visible. We want to make sure that black players are getting the play opportunities in their areas that they need. We want to bring support to our NJTLs and ultimately, we just want to partner with more of those black diverse community organizations. <clears throat> we don't want to focus on this being a community engagement piece. We want it to also be about staff development. So we definitely want to have those crucial conversations with staff as well to make sure that they're growing and they're learning and we're providing all the education that we can. Um, 
right now we're in the research and development phase. So what we're doing is we're gathering a lot of the information from the individuals in the community. So black tournament directors, black players, uh, NJTLs, a lot of different people in the community just to see how we can help. We just want to make sure whatever that they say that we're including in the process that we distribute out into the community. And one thing that I really like about this initiative, Ronald, is that, you know, it takes a group of staff from across the organization that are really invested in this, but it actually involves every staff member at the organization. It's not a, hey, there's a department over here and this is what they do. It's really something that we've all agreed to own and to work on. So it ideally is going to touch everything that we do and hopefully just become part of what we do on a day-to-day -day business for the the long term. So kudos to you and to the work that your team is doing. I know I'm really excited to see some of the research that you do and some of the initiatives that come out of it. One question that your team asked me to ask Mao, I'm going to ask right now, and you, you touched on it earlier, Mao. So that team um, really wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, the point you made earlier about uh, not having more black role models in tennis. And you did discuss in your interview with CNN how young black kids don't necessarily see role models in tennis the way they see them in football or basketball. And so our team really wanted to know what can we do to help address the lack of black players, coaches and commentators in our sports so that there are more role models. And do you think that would bring more black youth into our sport? I think it, it would help bring more uh, young black boys and girls into the sport. Um, and, and again, it's not absolutely required, but you know, sometimes I give this example on, on a Saturday, typical Saturday or a Sunday, you know, in the fall, um, you can turn on the TV and a kid can see, you know, maybe basketball or football being played. And, and a black kid is going to see a lot of players who look like them. And then all of a sudden they find their guy. That's who I want to be, whether it's Steph or LeBron or whoever it might be. That's their guy. And they, they want to wear the jersey. They want to wear the sneakers. And they can relate to that player. Doesn't mean a black kid can't relate to Kevin Love um, in, in the NBA at all. It doesn't mean they can at all. But there's just a, a little different level of, of connection. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, that I... I was a fan of, of Bjorn Borg. I was a fan of Jimmy Connors. I was a fan of John McEnroe. I always think it's kind of crazy because, you know, those, those three guys that I just mentioned, those were three autographs that I got at the U.S. Open when I was a little kid. And then a number of years later, I'm playing against them, which is, which is always just kind of, uh, kind of funny. So that's kind of cool. But, you know, I, I always feel like I always go back to my foundation. And, and I know there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids over the last two plus decades that we've engaged in tennis. And, and I'm just a believer in engaging where, where the rubber hits the road, going out into that particular community, which is what we did. We went into the Jacksonville community and said, where can we find a couple of tennis courts? Now let's work with that elementary school and let's work with those neighborhoods right there. Let's hand out flyers. This is what we're starting. We're starting a little after school tennis and education program. I think one of the, one of the toughest things is is creating something, one, finding those individuals that are dedicated enough to, to create those programs, but then sustain those programs long-term. That's one of the toughest things to do uh, because 
there, there, and there is a lot of turnover. Um, but you can even go into, um, you know, into any, any tennis club, any country club throughout Jacksonville, you'll talk to the directors of tennis and they'll say, oh yeah, there, there's a good amount of turnover. You know, every sport is, is kind of facing the exact same thing. How do we grow the base of players, you know, that younger, you know, six to 10 or 10 to 18 years old? And then how do we keep them, you know, after they've been playing for a year or two years? How do we how do we transition that into playing for three and five and five and 10 years and then playing for a lifetime? That's the that's the fifty thousand dollar question. I mean, tennis is struggling with that. You know, baseball is struggling with numbers. Um, Lacrosse is kind of seeing an uptick in in their level of play or their numbers of players, certainly not at the, you know, in minorities, but um, but they're seeing an uptick. So we're always trying to figure out the balance. I, I'm a believer in in going to where those where those kids are and creating a, a highly structured, systematic program um, where the kids can either walk to walk to you or short drive to you. And it's it's a becomes a staple in the community. I would like to think that my foundation is a staple in in Jacksonville now that we've been here 24 years. Um, it's tough to engage those kids if, if you're there for, you know, six months or there for the spring, you know, they're there in the spring and maybe a summer camp and then they don't see you for another eight months. The, the sustainability of the program, um, which oftentimes takes funds, um, takes funds, equipment. USA Florida does a nice job with, with, uh, with equipment grants, um, but uh, and finding that, that staff, you know, who is going to be running those, those programs. So, but once that system is in place, it becomes, uh, you know, it's like fitting people into that system, into that structure. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the people running that program, the programs for a second and talk a little bit about black coaches, black tennis coaches in particular. And we've heard from some of them as we've kind of gone through this exercise and we realize that there just aren't enough or USTA is not engaging with enough of them that are serving these communities. Do you feel like if we have more black coaches in tennis that we would see more outreach in these communities or do you see those as maybe two two separate things how do you connect the black coaches there you know, you know in, in the same way i say um it's great when a kid can look up to an athlete um I, I think it's great when a kid can also see um another coach that looks like them again it's, it's not required um a lot of my coaches growing growing up or i suppose the only coach i had growing up really was my dad but you know, so many of my other coaches were white. Whether it was coaches uh, was a part of the USGA national team, or even when I got on tour. Um, but I think the the more um, coaches of color that you you see, it's just a different level that a kid can uh, can relate. Um, we're trying to do something about that with you know our head pro at the foundation is a kid who came up through the foundation, and now he's our head pro and. And his assistant right now is another kid, recent recent high school graduate. He's in college locally, but he's he's his assistant. So in a small way, we're trying to uh, produce some young coaches coming out of coming out of the foundation. And I would like to think that you know the players, the young players in the foundation, can look up to them as role models and really look at you know looking at being a coach or playing college tennis as a, as a viable option. You know, so often, you know, you, you take NFL football, there's there's literally hundreds of thousands of kids who dream of playing in the NFL because they, they can envision it, because maybe a kid came out of their neighborhood 
played in college and now they're they're in the NFL. When when a young person can see it as a realistic option to be a tennis coach, to play college tennis because they're face to face with a coach who did it, like our coach Mark Atkinson, when they're face to face with it, I, I think it becomes more real. Yeah, and I mean Mark obviously we've worked with him and he is just such a wonderful human being and it it's really shocking to me I'm uh, you know this might get me in trouble for saying this but when I go to coaches conferences there aren't many people who look like Mark at these conferences and I think that's important and that means that we probably have some work to do on our side as well to say how do we become more inclusive and start recruiting uh, more coaches of color, just like we've tried to do on the women's side. We realized this was a huge gap on the women's side. Similar reason, a lot of female players come up with a male coach. They've never been coached by a woman. They don't necessarily see that as viable. So having that example of, hey, this is an option I can pursue. Um, so I love, I mean, Mark to me is just one of the, the finest examples we have and kudos to you for yeah. bringing him up to your program. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that. He is a, he is a good dude. Um, but, but I would also say, you know, in the same way that, you know, that let's say USGA Florida is saying, well, how can we engage broader? You know what? I always say, look in the mirror and say, okay, what, what else can I do? Um, and now, now that you bring it up, I'm going to ask Mark, I'm going to say, Hey, Mark, what else can you personally do? Or can we do as an organization to encourage or engage other coaches to, to get in, to get more involved in USGA Florida to get more involved in coaching and bringing more and more kids into the game because it, it has to it can't just be an organization saying we're going to go into the community and do this it also has to be the community being willing to engage with the organization um, along the same goal to to achieve well that gets to my next question so that was a perfect setup because I'm going to go back to Ron and I'm going to take those thoughts that you just shared and say that you know, we were talking recently about the idea that we tend to host a lot of our events at the same places time after time after time. And most of them are not in black communities. So our expectation tends to be, oh, you want to come to our conference or our event? You have to come to us. Mm -hmm. So, Ronald, my question for you is how can we change that? How can we be more present in the community and have more opportunities for play and coaching development in black communities in Florida. Okay, definitely. So I think our organization has to reverse that. Like we should be going into those black communities and having events in those black communities, having all types of tournaments in those black communities. Um, we just need to bring that to the forefront. I think we can, what we can do is locate the various the various areas that haven't had events or tournaments in the past and then try to amplify those areas and amplify those players because black people are playing tennis, but I just don't think we're there to see them playing tennis. So we need to try to actually bring tennis to them and not only those communities. I think what we can do is also amplify those HBCUs that we have, like having events at our HBCUs and having tournaments at our HBCUs just to bring those to the forefront as well, because we have amazing ones in Florida. So why not bring those to the forefront? So what we're doing with Amplify, I think we're going to focus heavily on that because 
a lot of times we know those communities are vital. It's just hard to actually get into those communities a lot of times. So that's what we're going to be focusing on in the future. Excellent. Well, I'm going to shift just a little bit and I want to talk to you both about organization and industry leadership. So um, in my role, you know, I've had kind of a bird's eye view for a couple of years now about what the leadership looks like in our industry. And to be honest, the majority of the faces look like mine. You know, almost all the top leaders are white and they are predominantly male in most cases. So Mal, I know this is something you focus on very heavily at your uh, foundation. You train uh, your students to be good leaders. So when it comes to bringing in diverse leaders, how have you been able to approach finding some diverse voices to serve your organization or even to serve others? Some of our teenagers, if you come to our youth center, you'll see they have a t-shirt that says LIT on the back, leader in training. Mm -hmm. So from a very young age, we want to try to help produce leaders. But as an organization, um, you know, first and foremost, we, we want quality individuals. You know, we're going to take in uh, take in resumes and we want quality individuals who can perform at a high level. But we certainly want to try to have um, a diverse um, uh, employee base, full and part time, um, racially diverse and also gender diverse. And we also try to do the same thing with our uh, with our board of directors. I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I personally have learned just from being on my own board of directors. Just, you know, prior to prior to going uh, starting our own board of directors, I'd never been to a board meeting of anything. OK, we started the organization at, when I was 26, 27 years old. I was a tennis player. I wasn't going to board meetings. So it's been an immense learning opportunity for me. So we want to have a diverse group um, of board members, young, also young board members. You know, we have a wine ranging, you know, age group and gender and, and racial group. But we want young board members, you know, who can also learn from from what we're doing. Um, one of our, our most recent board chair, uh, Lazita Davis, she actually grew up in the neighborhood um, around the foundation. Um, so we, you know, we, I, I was just excited that, you know, she has gone on now she works for Prudential, but, uh, she came out of that neighborhood and is now serving in the neighborhood and is still on the board of directors. So we, we specifically try to, um, recruit young, diverse individuals, men and women who can contribute to the foundation whether uh, whether as as staff members or as board members, but I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't care what you look like. If you're willing to participate in the foundation in some capacity and you want to serve and you just want to do something with kids, we'll absolutely find you something to do with the foundation. Ronald, I'm going to throw it back to you and see, you know, you are fairly new to USTA 40. You've been here for a few years, but you're already taking on a leadership role. So I would like to hear from you. What do you think we can do better or differently to recruit and retain more people of color in our organization and also help develop them into our future leaders? Yeah, so I feel like when it comes to retention, USA Florida does a great job when it comes to professional development. I think professional development is probably the key factor in retention, but I think we probably could focus more on having uh, those employee resource groups. Um, just focusing on those and having like a clear objective for those groups, because I've seen within our Amplify project team that 
just talking about things and just creating change and everybody having the same common goal. It's like, oh my God, this is such a safe space. Um, and I know that other employees would see that as very beneficial. So I think USDA Florida could focus on that in the future, um, those ERGs. And as far as recruitment goes, I think we also could focus heavily on internships. Um, I think internships is a huge opportunity. I actually participated in an internship and I networked with so many people that ultimately led me to USDA Florida. So I know that that is very beneficial as well. Um, and aside from the internships, I think we can do more recruiting events at NJTLs and at HBCUs just to bring awareness to USDA Florida, but not only bring awareness to USDA Florida, but also let those individuals know that maybe you don't know about USDA Florida, but we have different jobs within USDA Florida that you might want to do like marketing or other things that you can do, even though you might not play tennis or something like that. So I think internships and, um, also, the recruiting events are something that we can focus on in the future. That's great. Those are great ideas. So when we emerge from the COVID world and we can go out and see people again, we'll put those on the top of our list um, to do. Before we uh, close our podcast today, I just wanted to kind of give you guys an open forum to really talk about whatever you wanted and convey whatever you would like to convey to our audience that's listening to this, or maybe just the broader tennis community about where we stand today and maybe what we need to work on. So Mal, I'll start with you. Well, let me uh, let me start off by saying, I, I think tennis is the greatest sport in the world. And uh, I've been playing it since I was five years old. And I've uh, had the, I mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity to play around the world and, and in some scary situations, scary, not in a bad way, scary in some nervous situations, just because, you know, in front of a crowd or, or whatever it might have been. And, you know, but I've never felt like I, I didn't belong right there, right there on the tennis court. And and I would hate to think that there are, there are players or maybe a kid who wants to get in the sport who just thinks that, well, you know, that's not for me because I don't belong or I don't see people who look like me out there. Um, therefore, I, sh I shouldn't be out there. Um, I, I think we need to do, continue to do, you know, everything we can as individuals, as tennis players, just as tennis advocates, you know, as, uh, as, as USGA Florida or USGA National. I think we need to do everything we can to just continue to grow the game, make it as diverse as, as possible, and make it as open as a, and accepting as possible for people of all ages, gender preferences, races. Um, I think I think as an organization, as the USC, I, I believe that's who we are. I, I really do. And I hope that uh, that continues. But we live in some, some interesting times right now, some challenging times. Um, I can't really, I was born in the 60s, but I didn't grow up in the 60s. I imagine the, the 60s were challenging as, as well, um, socially. But I think we have a real opportunity right now to produce some positive changes. And I think some of the changes that we're literally seeing right now, um, six months ago, a year ago, two or three years ago, we would have never even thought about changing. Um, I just take the, uh, the football team in Washington. Um, I think it was announced today 
that they are going to remove the their logo and remove the name Redskins from their name, which I think that's a good idea. I, I fully uh, support that. I think there's should be some other teams that follow suit, but this is, this is one. Um, but I, I, I would like to think that positive change can continue um, with this momentum. And, the, you know, the change, it's not, out of, it's not out of hatred in any way. It's how can we change to become a better, um, better people? How can we change to become a better, uh, a better country? We are, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a melting pot of a lot of different people. And we're a country that has welcomed people by the tens of millions for, for, generations, of, um, for generations and generations. How can we continue to be a welcoming uh, community for people coming in from outside of the borders, but also people already here? How do we continue to welcome them into uh, the great sport of tennis? I'd like to see the momentum continue. Um, we, get, we get antsy as people. Uh, COVID-19 is making us antsy. And I would hate to think that um, six months from now, the momentum that we're having just kind of dies down and people kind of go back to, you know, revert back a little bit. I'd hate to think that is, uh, that's going to happen because I think we have a great opportunity in so many ways, you know, to expose injustices. Um, but to, to also make great strides forward. You know, one of the things I've tried to do um, in, recent, in recent weeks and months is purposely have conversations with people. I believe I've, I've had a barrage of conversations coming to me, but you know, I've kind of been on a bit of a listening tour and, and I've learned, I've actually learned uh, quite a bit. And what, what it's, it's made me realize is, is there are some people, you know, be, because of their, their, the, the lens that they see life through, their perspective on, let's say, let's just say racial injustice is polar opposite than mine is. And these are people I consider friends and I would give them the, give them the key to my house and say, hey, you know, stay here while I'm gone. I'm, I'm, we're that close, but, but because of their experience, just personal experiences, it's just very different. So I, I'd like to think that I've taught them a little something, um, but they have also um, enlightened me and opened my eyes a little bit. And so I'm going to continue to try to do that um, in conversations and meetings and, and actually a little group that I'm of young men that I'm starting, uh, literally starting right now, just to further the conversation and in, in hopes that, uh, you know, I can do my little part. I, I want to just Say one thing in response to what you just said is that if anyone's listening to this podcast or watching it and you don't feel welcome in tennis, you have three people here, you pick up the phone and you call us and I guarantee you that we will personally give you access to tennis in a way that feels welcoming because that's our mission and it's something we believe in. So if nothing else comes out of this podcast other than one person listening to it didn't feel welcome, and now they pick up the phone and we can reach them, I think that's a that's a win. So thank you so much for saying that because I would hate to think that somebody had that experience or has that experience anywhere in Florida or anywhere in the US. Ron, I'm gonna turn it over to you now. The forum is yours to share your thoughts with our audience. 
So I want to mirror exactly what Laura and Mal said. I think our sport is on the right track. I think as long as we keep having these types of conversations and we're creating groups like Mal, he's creating groups and we have our Amplify project team. I think as long as we keep doing those things, we're going to move in the right direction. Um, it's not going to be overnight and it's going to be difficult, but I think we're going to move in the right direction. And I think we're going to, ultimately bridge the gap um, that we see in tennis when it comes to the racial divide because it's it's very apparent and i think we're we're moving there we're moving the dial forward so i think soon to come and more to come and if i could if i could just finish with one one more thing um ron with what you just said right there i think it was perfect when you said the progress doesn't happen overnight um you know, progress is one of those, it, it's a, what do you call it? It's a journey. I, I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where we say, you know what, we've arrived. There's nothing else to do. There's no more work to be done. You know, th this is a journey that I'll be on for, for the rest of my life. And, you know, my kids will pick up and other young people will pick up. Um, but I agree with you that we're heading in the right direction. Um, we just continue to, you need to continue to be, uh, be open to people, listening to people, not judging uh, people, and, and realizing that other people's opinions and thoughts, even though they may disagree with ours, those are still valuable opinions and thoughts, and we need to take those into account. So that's a great point to end on. I want to thank you both again for taking all this time today to have this discussion. I do hope that it is the first of many we will have on this topic. And I'm very grateful to both of you for using your voices and the platforms that you have to promote positive change in our industry. So thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. For those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, just a reminder to visit USTA Florida's Facebook and Instagram pages to watch the full video and leave your thoughts and comments there. And for those of you who want to share your story in tennis, uh, you can actually be part of our Amplify pro project by just visiting ustaflorida.com slash Amplify. And for all future episodes of our Here to Serve podcast, including dates and topics, you can find those at ustaflorida.com slash here to serve. Thank you all for tuning in. Stay safe and have a great rest of your week. <laughs>